Sorry about that, Teresa. <laughs> Shows a lot of trust in me that I was going to leave you in the middle of a parable and then it makes sense of it. <laughs> um, great. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be here. Um, for the kids, we're going to start off with a quick little game. Um, it's a real simple game called Is It Easy or Is It Hard? So here's all I want. I'm going to list off some things. I just want you guys to shout out, is it easy or is it hard, right? So easy or hard. So first, first one, is it easy or is it hard to eat lots of candy? Easy. Easy, easy. okay. Is it easy or is it hard to eat lots of vegetables? Easy. Easy. Jordan's like vegetables. That's, got some hards over here, though. That's good. It's an honest people. Nice. Um, okay. Is it easy or is it hard to play all day? Easy. All right. Next one. Is it easy or is it hard to do your homework and chores? Hard. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So is it easy or is it hard, and this is the big one, to forgive someone when you're angry? Hard. I think some adults jumped in on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is hard. And that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today in our sermon is what we do with the anger, the sadness, the hurt, and how we get to forgiveness. And so as we're talking, I would love for you guys just to write down what are some of the things you do when you're feeling upset and you're asked to forgive someone? What are some of the things that you do that help you? And I'd love to have you guys have a conversation about that with your parents or myself after church or forward. I'd love to hear some of your ideas around that. What do we do with our anger and our hurt when we want to forgive? We are finishing up a series today on peacemaking. We titled Blessed Are the Peacemakers. That's run the last few weeks here. And we're finishing up this series talking about forgiveness. And I think... Forgiveness is kind of a tricky thing because on the one hand, as our scripture readings today have made abundantly clear, forgiveness is a command from God. The command in scripture is clear. We are called as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to be people who forgive. That isn't unclear. That's abundantly clear from scripture. The problem is It is exceedingly difficult in reality. When faced with the experiences that we encounter day in and day out, bringing up that sense of forgiveness, reaching down and coming to a place where we can forgive someone who's wronged us, it's hard. And I think we need to be honest and open about that. This is something that I encounter all the time in my work as a counselor. A lot of you know that I work with uh, betrayed partners and betrayed Uh, situations where there's marital unfaithfulness. There's a lot of pain in those experiences walking into my office. When the person who did the betraying, uh, who wronged their spouse, they're usually asking the question, is it possible for my spouse to forgive me? How can they possibly do that? There's guilt and there's shame that they're wrestling with as they do that. On the other hand, the person who was betrayed is saying, How in the world am I supposed to process all of this hurt, this trauma, this emotional abuse? 
and get to a place where I can forgive them? How is that the expectation for myself as a Christian? Now, obviously, that's an extreme example that we might not all run into on a day-to-day basis, but I think, I think we have some less extreme examples that show up in our life as well. For me, it shows up in road rage. I'm driving down the road. Maybe I even have Christian music on or a Christian podcast. Maybe I'm listening to one of Ford's sermons that I missed on Sunday. And I pull up and I'm trying to, turn a, to take a left on 40. The light turns green. And the car in front of me has the audacity to wait a whole 10 seconds before turning left. What comes up in me in that moment is telling. I have anger. I have frustration. I have indignation. I feel disrespected. And I start blaming them for me running a little late, even though it was probably the 10 minutes I spent at home, not the 10 seconds I spent waiting for them to turn. And so it's so great that Ford brought up our bodies, because I think this is what we are up against when we're talking about forgiveness. We're up against how our nervous systems react to things. We're up against our innate responses. It's a natural tendency in our lives to fight instead of forgive. It's a natural tendency to feel like it is not safe enough for us to offer someone forgiveness. Do we have to fight for what's right for us? Do we have to fight for our own respect? That we can't let go of the pain that has been caused. From the smallest offense to the most extreme abuse, I believe it rarely feels safe for us to forgive. And so forgiveness feels impossible. That's ultimately, I think, the challenge that we're faced with when we come up to verses like Ephesians 4.32, forgive as you've been forgiven, or the parable of of the steward that we read in Matthew. That's the challenge that's in front of us. And so I wanted to dig into where that comes from. So I actually want to turn to Psalm 103 first. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 103, and we're going to be looking at the passage that was read this morning there. And I want us just to sit with these verses just for a second. It's verses uh, 8 through 12. Let me just read again what it says. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will, he, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions. This is a description of the creator of the universe. This is the God who made us. This is a description that shows up throughout the Old Testament from people who knew God deeply, who had firsthand insight into who he was. And what that means is that when we fell away in the beginning, Adam and Eve, as we stray from his ways like lost sheep, as our liturgy says, we're leaving behind the God who loves us, who forgives us, We're leaving behind the God who's merciful and gracious. We're leaving behind the source of all forgiveness. Separate from that God, all we have is our insecurities. All we have 
is our lack of an ability to process the pain and the suffering in our life. It's what I call the myth of the scarcity of grace. Without that God in our lives, we live in a world that doesn't have forgiveness. We live in a world that doesn't have grace. And so we act out of this scarcity. I can't offer someone else forgiveness if I don't think there is any forgiveness for myself. I'm going to hold on to that. And so it leaves us with a wrong intuition that there is no grace for us. There is no grace for other people. And I think one of the ways that as Christians we fall into this myth of the scarcity of grace is what I call the shallow way of forgiveness. And this is when we see the command to forgive. We see that as a possibility and as a necessity in Scripture. We go, okay, how do I do that? Well, I must forgive. I see that command. So that means I cannot feel hurt. I cannot feel angry. I cannot feel upset. And so the solution to get us to forgiveness is suppression, denial, and resentment. The problem with this is it goes straight up against what Scripture calls us to in 1 John 1, verse 8. It says, if you, have, if you say you have no sin in you, you are a liar and a deceiver. But it's easier for us, I think, to pretend that, that we have forgiven than to truly face the hurt and the pain that is inside of us. The shallow way of, forg- of forgiveness that doesn't deal with the stuff underneath affirms the shoulds of following Jesus. It affirms the shoulds that Scripture calls us to without embracing the power. This is coming from 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 5, where it talks about having the appearance of righteousness without that power. Denying the power. And so, the shallow way ultimately actually damages our Christian witness about forgiveness in the world. Because what we end up with is people with clenched jaws and clenched fists saying, I have forgiven this person. And they're just full of anger and sadness, and they're burdened by the hurt that was caused to them. And that is not the burden of the easy yoke of Jesus. We're called to something deeper. We're called to something better. We're called to actually go towards our pain and towards our suffering and actually experience that power of Jesus. And ultimately, the shallow way is not what Jesus calls us to, if you look at Matthew 18. I'm really glad that whole uh, passage was read because it's that last little bit that I think catches us all if we're not careful. That last section of that, of that passage in Matthew 18 says, unless you forgive from the heart. That tells us there's deep work involved in the forgiveness that we're called to. So forgiveness only works if we recognize we don't live in a world where there is a scarcity of grace, but in a world where there is an abundance of grace. Psalm 103, those verses about God have to sink into our bones. We have to truly believe and trust and know that that is true of God and that is true of the ruler of the universe. And so to illustrate this, I want, to, I want us to turn now to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to point out a couple of things here, uh, starting in verse 25. This is what I would call the deep way of forgiveness, where we actually process what's happening inside 
and bring that to God. So right away, Ephesians chapter 4, verse, uh, start, actually I'm going to start at the end, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So right away there, we see the foundation of forgiveness. And that foundation is what God has done for us. If we have not fully received forgiveness from God, we are not going to be able to forgive others. But more than that, Ephesians, this section in Ephesians does something interesting with our anger. This is verse 26. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. There is a recognition in this passage that anger is something we're going to experience. There is a recognition in this passage that as human beings, we will experience things like anger, that people will wrong us and harm us in this broken world. The question is not do we experience anger, but what do we do with it? Do we suppress it and pretend it's not there? Or do we not let the sun go down on it? Do we not give the devil a foothold? Do we invite God into that space in our lives? The image that I think comes up for me when I think about this is it's like we, our heart is like a house. And we've invited God into that house. But there's a door in the back that we keep closed. Oh, that, that's my anger, God. Don't worry about that. I, I'll, I'll take care of that myself. And then I'll let you in when it's clean, right? When all the dust is, is cleared up, when the floor is vacuumed. That's when I'll let you in. But that's not what the gospel says. God wants to enter into that space with us. In fact, he has something deeply profound for each of us if we would invite him into that space, if you would allow him to do that work. So be angry and do not sin tells me we have to accept the fact that we have anger. We can't deny that if we're sitting in traffic, there's anger bubbling up inside. We have to do something with that. So we accept our shortcomings, and then we offer them to God. God, I'm feeling this anger come up this morning. What do you want me to do with it? What can I do with this? Where is this coming from? It's a radical honesty and a radical transparency that God is calling us to. And that is what we are offered in Scripture by Christ. We are offered to, have, to be able to be in that relationship with that God, the God of Psalm 103. And then it's about the intention to set it aside. So look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So obviously we don't sit with that anger forever, but the goal is setting it aside. I think that language of setting aside is not the same as suppressing. I think that language of setting aside is becoming the kind of person who doesn't have those in our life, life anymore. And so ultimately, this is what living in the abundance of grace looks like. It is the ability to invite the Holy Spirit into the deep places of pain and resentment to remind ourselves of who God is in the midst of a broken world and out of that deep work to forgive as we've been forgiven. If the command of forgiveness is, seems difficult to you, remember that you are not the primary person who carries that burden. It is Christ carrying it for you. 
And we are dependent on his work in our life to be able to see that fruit. So seen from this perspective, forgiveness is a process born out of, the forgi- born out of our relationship with God. It is a series of decisions where we set aside the myth of the scarcity of grace and live in the reality of the abundance of grace. And so in the, good, in the end, the good news for my clients and for myself and for you is that forgiveness doesn't depend on you. It's a healing act of God. And ultimately, I would say it is a miracle of God. Whether the person knows it or not, sitting in my office, if there is forgiveness there, it is a gift from God. It is God who has done that work. And so I, I wanted to wrap up today a little differently in this spirit of, of what we're talking about. Um, I've, I have a prayer exercise that I've started doing with myself and with my clients that I wanted just to share with you all as a tool. Obviously, um, uh, there's you know, noises and kids and things happening, so in many ways this might be an accurate uh, experiment for how you guys pray uh, in, the, in the environment you guys pray in, but I thought I would walk through this exercise with you. We'd actually do it here, and then uh, we might share it uh, this week through an email so you guys can have it as a tool. But it's three steps. It's really simple. They all begin with A, so it's memorable. Um, you're welcome. Uh, so the first is uh, awareness. First thing we need to do is become aware that the presence of God is with us. We need to be drawn into the reality of that Psalm 103 God. And so the first step of, of this, uh, as, we, as we'll dive into this in a second, is to just remind yourself that God is present with you. The second is attend. So the question I usually ask in a session is, how does it feel to be in the presence of God? What comes up for you? Are you scared? Is there shame? Is it comforting? Is it exciting? What's there? Attend to whatever shows up as you enter into God's presence. And whatever is there, that becomes your prayer. So if it's anger, if it's hurt, whatever's there, we turn that towards God. So awareness is number one. Attend is number two. And the last is just ask, God, what am I supposed to do with this? How can I set aside the old self that I see bubbling up inside me all the time? How can I forgive as I've been forgiven? God, where does this come from? Why am I reacting this way all of a sudden out of nowhere? So I'm just going to invite us into this process this morning. And so I uh, invite you uh, to close your eyes if you want, but just take a second now in the presence of this room, in, your, in our community, in a family of God, to remind yourself of God's presence, that he is with you, that Psalm 103 is true, of the ruler of the universe. Just step into that awareness. God is here.
Next is attend. What shows up for you when you step into God's presence? Distractions, random thoughts, feelings. Maybe you're feeling some shame or some fear, maybe some anger. Maybe it's just comfort, grace, love. Whatever it is, offer that to God as a prayer. Give that over to God. Finally, ask. Just be curious about what you've found. What am I to do with this? How am I supposed to interact with this part of me? How do I set this aside if I think it's not of you? Where does this come from? Just ask good questions of yourself and of God. prayer exercise is intentionally a little open-ended because I don't know what God's doing in your heart. But I would encourage you to move into this kind of work if our goal is ultimately forgiveness. We need to give whatever is there to God. Let me close us with some prayer. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the deep work that you have called us to do in our own lives. And we thank you for the command to forgive. We ask that you would help us. Be with us as your people as we leave here. Help us to be aware of what is happening inside of us. Help us to remember that you are present with us. And help us to move towards those places in our lives of pain and suffering so that they can be renewed and healed by you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.